You're listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is the Elevator's Cut. Welcome back to another episode of The Elevator's Cut. I am here, uh, one of your hosts, Jason Wheeler. And I'm your other host, Roger Gaddis. And uh, this is a special COVID-19 edition of uh, Elevator's Cut. And uh, unfortunately, I can't see Jason's face right now. And even if I could, it would probably be covered up at least partially with a mask. That's right. Yeah, you can never, safety first uh, is what they always say. So you can never be too careful. And uh, of course, we're we are. This is, so this is our first attempt at at recording a podcast over uh, the the telephone wires or internet wires. But I I don't know how it all works. But <clears throat> there's cell towers involved too. I think so. Uh, anyways, hopefully this is this uh, this works. But well, we have a special guest today, which is which is always good for us. Uh, who we got, Roger? Yeah, we've got our uh, friend Adam Baldwin, and uh, those of you on Ag Twitter to any degree would probably recognize either his name or his Twitter handle, which is at I am your farmer. Um, he is uh, from the great state of Kansas, and uh, we've uh, invited him on today to visit with us. And uh, you know, we've we've done a lot of talking about um, the interactions between elevators and producers. Uh, since the inception of this podcast, essentially, uh, we've yet to have a producer on. So um, this seemed like a pretty good uh, reason to have Adam on is to, to let's hear from that side of the bushel, if you will. So uh, with that, uh, welcome, Adam, to the Elevators Cut and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks for having me on. This is going to be really cool. Um, yeah, so I farm in central Kansas. Uh, in McPherson County, uh, our, our big claim to fame would be I live about a mile from Conway, Kansas, which doesn't exist anymore, but it's just a big underground propane storage area. And about 30% of the U.S.'s propane is stored in underground salt caverns right around here. So last winter, when everyone was short propane up north, there were actually a lot of trucks coming down to my house backed up on the road loading out it's most trucks we've ever seen so um but yeah we farm corn wheat soybeans and milo um a little bit of popcorn for a side business and like like the rest of the state our our wheat acres are going up and our our corn and bean acres i mean our wheat acres are going down and our corn and uh, bean acres are going up Mm -hmm. but just just the average farmer i think yeah, well, there you go. We're just two average uh, ele- uh, elevator podcast guys over here, so this ought to be good. I I want to know, uh, you know, before we dig into the guts of the of the matter here, but how? What's the story behind your Twitter handle? Everybody's got one, uh, so I've got to ask, what's your what's the inspiration there? I, I wish I could like claim the creativity of it. Is that I actually my dad ripped it off someone on the Today Show. It was. <laughs> Some guy had a sign hold, held up that said, I am your farmer. And my dad just said, oh, that's just the most awesome thing ever. And 
he's like, we ought to have that website. We ought to make a website. So I got the website and then, um, figured when Twitter started, like, well, that's a pretty good Twitter handle, you know, because when, when everyone gets on Twitter at first, or at least like five, 10 years ago, they would go to a ag conference and everyone would say, you got to get out there and tell ag stories. You got to have a, a big advocate, um, Mm. Twitter handle. I thought that was a pretty good way to do it. But some people think it's like a Star Wars knockoff of like Luke, I am your farmer, but ah. or father. But... <laughs> That's good. But I'm not a Star Very Wars nice. nerd, so. <laughs> Jason is, so he, he can relate. So Adam, now get, tell me if I'm wrong, but you came back to the farm from, from college about 02 time frame and, and uh, got into it full time. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I came back in 2002, um, kind of had, I figured I would give it a few years, uh, see if I could um, kind of build my own operation. My dad was always really adamant that um, he had seen how some people get stuck underneath their fathers and don't don't ever really end up making their own decisions. And so he always felt if I was going to come back, I would need to have my own operation. And so while we work cooperatively, um, he has his ground. I have my ground. Uh, we, we share some equipment. We obviously work together. We, we share input purchases together, trying to get some scale that way. But in terms of grain marketing, merchandising, um, you know, that that's, that's, we have our own grain and uh, we do that ourselves. So um, kind of, he's allowed me to make some of my own mistakes and have some of my own successes. And, and that's really kind of where I got, onto you guys listening to your podcast and or getting into it with you guys a couple of times on Twitter and maybe some of at the time uh, were some of my misconceptions I had about the grain industry. Um, and just kind of been learning as I go, trying to expand uh, some profitability, find some profitability within my operation. Yeah. And, and so that, that brings up an interesting point in, in that, uh, you know, the question might be raised by listeners like, well, how did, you know, what's the relationship between, tech and and uh, adam and uh it, and it's just because i think early on you know last year beginning of last year when, when we got the podcast rolling you were one of the first interactors uh with us on that and uh and yet that kind of relationship has just been building over time and you know as of this recording we've still never met face to face but i think we both probably uh from this side and your side you know we have a fairly decent understanding of each other and it's really cool the way twitter and, and social media and stuff within our industry has really opened up the ability to have these kind of relationships and 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 as you put it you know uh, reach new understandings and and be able to see things from different perspectives and and that's man that's just the greatest thing we could ever hope for for this podcast and you know so we've had that i think you were actually one of the first to, to receive any of the the uh podcast swag that we sent out here here a while back so uh I'd say our relationship is rock solid at this point, wouldn't you, Jason? <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, I just wanted to confirm uh, with you, Adam. Have you you've never uh, done an interview with a with a local news person while standing in a Milo field about wheat bases? Have you? <laughs> I don't think I have wheat bases. No. <laughs> okay. Oh, is that the <laughs> elevator's cut? No, no, that, no, that, that was, was the inception the of our name. Yeah, it was right, but it was right down around <laughs> you. It was a Wichita out, uh, station, I think. So. No, I've I've only I've only done Milo stories in Milo Field. So oh, okay. Well, I'm I'm not I'm not a, a wheat. I haven't ever been interviewed on wheat, so I'm I'm not the namesake. There you go. 
<laughs> well, good. We just need to clear clear that up. That's fantastic. Uh, so, Adam, um, on on um, this topic of uh, you know grain marketing and the farmer's perspective and and the producer's view of um, elevators out there uh, in in the industry. Uh, tell us a little bit about what your thoughts on on that relationship is and what it has been and what you think it should be. Well, as you mentioned before, I'm from Kansas, and so I'm going to have a totally different perspective in terms of on-farm storage versus commercial storage versus probably what I'm assuming a lot of guys would be in, in the true historical corn belt. So in our area, when I was growing up, we were – this area is probably 60% wheat. Um, so there ends up, you know, you have 60% wheat, the balance in row crops, which is probably Milo, a little bit of soybeans. There ends up being a lot of commercial storage space. They, you get the wheat in get wheat out there's plenty of room for fall crops there's never a shortage typically of storage there is now um but our, our local elevators have done a really good job investing uh in facilities and so we have our commercial elevators are never a, a restriction point during harvest um so so why would why would someone who has a really good commercial facility, want to build their own grain storage. Because in the back of their mind, they think they're getting screwed by the, by the elevator. And <laughs> oh, so of that's, and that's, that's just, I think probably, you know, I'll dog on farmers a little bit. Uh, you see it a lot on like on ag Twitter is this, there's kind of the, the world's out to get me mentality. A lot of them, and they don't maybe fully understand how how systems work, the value that uh, an elevator is bringing, and when you don't understand that, um, it it puts you in a you don't understand what the elevator is trying to do. You maybe uh, distrust some of the ways they're trying to help you, um, and also I was thinking about this today. Um, it opens I think farmers up to be maybe this is maybe going to be a little strong, but I think it's probably somewhat a realistic take of being taken advantage of by um, perceived premiums by some of these startups, let's see, either by initials or by color, um, by promising premiums. But you have to store the grain for for three months or four months. And so all you did was sell your grain at the market, not get your check, limit your options, and this gave them to carry without basis appreciation. And so, you know, there's a real lack of um, – of knowledge of how that works that I think if farmers could better understand that or grain buyers help farmers understand that, I think they could build trust and, and make everyone have a better relationship and hopefully find some more profitability for everyone through the uh, chain. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. And, um, you know, there's times where, um, from from the elevator side, our, our side of the bushel, we, we've been very um, on the message of farmers quit worrying about basis and this, that, and the other. And while there is some truth in that, I think the thing that some people miss, some merchandisers miss, is that when we say that without explaining how an elevator works, what we're trying to do out here, we add fuel to that fire of the distrust because – you know, we can explain the thing and say, look, here's what it is, and here's why maybe chasing this thing isn't the best thing for you. 
that's one thing. But when you just say, well, disregard that and, and do this other thing without explaining it, I think, you know, it's not all on the farmer side of the miscommunication. There's definitely been some from the elevator side as well. And, and uh, you know, I think you've probably seen some examples of that yourself on the overemphasis on basis at the, at the uh, you know, risk of um, the futures market. Right. That's and 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 uh, you know this is an example on basis, which for, for for the producers that listen to this, you know, in the past two weeks, I've had a basis bid on on some grain increase thirty cents, and the cash bid was two cents less. Right. And so it's just basis is one of those deals that there there's strength in the market. You could find it, but if you only focus on basis, um, you, you know, you're, you're kind of just chasing your tail as a grower. And I, I think one of the, you know, I, I've been involved in some commodity groups. And so you attend meetings and you kind of expand your, your, uh, your base of people you meet. And every once in a while, it can be this like a sentence that someone says and it sticks with you. And one that has really caught me was a guy, he's actually a grain sorghum merchandiser, or a grain elevator guy from Southwest Kansas, and he, and he, and he in, in, in this meeting, he didn't even tell it to me. He just kind of told it to the group. You know, he said, "I don't trade grain; I trade freight." And that's what you know farmers don't understand because in their mind, you know, you guys make the joke about it, but it's true. Is they think, "Oh, shipping's free." Okay, once it's in my truck, it, I always want to haul it to where the the highest price is. And so there's all those points in the chain that eat up margin that um that a, a grower probably doesn't account for that what um what what an elevator's having to you know what they're having to pay for when they're merchandising the grain and then if they're doing their on farm storage um they're not figuring in for expenses you know you can blow a tire pull into an elevator and any premium you picked up just went away and so there, there's just so many angles and things that need to be considered that I think if guys could have an open mind and, and, a, and, a, and a clear view of, I think they would they would find that maybe they're chasing their tail a little bit. But not not to say that there aren't. I mean, you know, I think having your own farm storage, like for us, um, where we've been doing it the last few years, we're in an area where it's several co-ops are together with a grain consortium basically of one big marketing group. And so we have lots of elevators around, like I mentioned, but we have one, one company that's buying it. So we're a little, little bit of a captured market. And once I go put it in a bin, now all of a sudden I can get bids from grain elevators a little farther out that maybe I'd be delivering to the same place. It's, it's interesting how you can have, call three different companies and get different bids from each one, you know? So I'm just kind of, kind of forgot what my question was. You guys were supposed to stop no. because I was meandering. <laughs> no, no, this is, this is good. It's uh, so, you know, that brings up an interesting point in that, um, you know, you kind of mentioned the term captive, captive market, you know, um, which, you know, the style of marketing group you just described is very common in Kansas, uh, for sure, West Kansas, and it's, it's been moving east and north into Nebraska and stuff, um, which might be a little unheard of, say, in Eastern Corn Belt. But when a lot of folks out there hear captive market, they think 
instantly going to, you know, I'm subject to the whims of these guys and whatever bad price they want to pay me. And I'm, it's bad, but um, tell me if I'm wrong, Adam, but I don't think that's the way you've seen things actually play out, uh, at least with y'all's marketing group out there, have you? No, I mean, they're, they're, they're normally fairly competitive. Um, you know, sometimes they're like anything who's hedged where, who's got what sale on, on, on where it's going to work. But especially like in, in corn and beans, they're, they're really competitive. Sorghum, sorghum's a little different, um, you know, specific to this area. Demand can, can vary widely. Who's got the sale on, you know, who doesn't. But I, I, I mean, they're, they're, no matter where you're at, someone's going to gripe about a cooperative or a grain elevator, but I can't complain about ours. I can complain, but it wouldn't be fair. Um, <laughs> just because of the, uh, what, what they have invested in our facilities, um, you know, they have, they've, they've put in train loaders. They, they've, they're very competitive. Um, it's not, they've, they've, they've invested in us. And so, you know, if, even if you feel like your basis isn't quite as good as what maybe it could be, you know, Hey, I can, I can dump, I don't have a line at the elevator and I got double scales in and out, or I go to a train loader and there's two scales in and there's two scales out. and It's just as high, as high paced as you can go. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of value in there that, you know, a lot of times isn't appreciated by people in that, in that, in terms of that investment, um, our, our that grain marketing group they also have field marketer or I don't, they always change the name but they have you know i have a marketing guy who you know he's trying to sell me puts and do whatever try to come up with strategies but you know they know that we're most likely going to hold their grain there so they don't even have to provide that service but they do and so if you can build relationships in like in any part of the ag industry relationships is there's an incredible amount of value. And I think that's probably your best way to keep some of these, these startups out of your territory is to, to maintain those relationships and realize that, you know, the, the premiums who can bid the most will change from time to time, but long-term you just want uh, a reliable relationship and the check to clear. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Jason, you got anything to add on that? Yeah. I was, so, I mean, obviously, you talked about the service that elevator provides, you know, at, at harvest or when you're dumping and in, in, in and out fast, and, and that's definitely valuable. But you having your own bins and everything, is there – do you see elevators bringing value in direct stuff as well that they're not necessarily touching? If so, like, how? What do they do for you? Yeah, so – so I think that's the one misconception a lot of a lot of farmers have, especially like in this area. Um, you, you know, everyone thinks, "Oh, I'll build a bin and and I'll just sell direct." And and I I was hauling into a feedlot one time, and I was getting it was kind of right when I started binning corn, and I was getting option whatever month we were at. And I was like, "What? If they're getting option, what what?" What are, what's the what's the feedlot paying? So I call the feedlot up, but I go, hey, uh, you guys buying corn? And he goes, yeah, we're buying corn. I'm like, well, what are you bidding? And he and he goes minus twenty. I'm like, okay, that's good, thank you, you know. And yeah. so I don't know about my business, but the the reality is, is, when when a feed yard wants to buy corn, 
is not when a farmer wants to sell corn. Right. And so once I think if farmers can realize that, hey, you know, we can put a middleman in here that is price neutral, um, then then uh, everyone can win. And I think that's something that a lot of farmers don't fully realize or consider. Um, and so, and, and there's ways, you know, like where those merchandisers can find markets that I don't know exist. And so can save, instead of me having to call, you know, 15 places, I can call three different companies and have a lot better idea of where the market exists. I think that's the biggest advantage. And, and everyone can win that way, you know. Right. Um, if, if everyone, if everything's working right, it, it should be success at all three levels, end user, middleman, and uh, the grower, you know, right. and, and it's not, and, and, no, and no one's taking an unnecessarily big cut either. Right. Well, and I think, you know, the way you said it's right, like it doesn't, the timing isn't, isn't the same for everybody of when the buyer wants it, when the farmer wants to sell it, and and also with the elevator mixed in there of when they when they want to move stuff. I know, you know, on a kind of a, a little bit of a different scale, like dealing with elevator folks, sometimes, say, a market, you know, it, it um, gets to, to even or something, and that's about the best it's traded all year. That's the highest it's traded, and these elevators are trying to sell in, and then all of a sudden – uh, one of these big multinational comes in and, and says, you know, hey, um, you know, we'll we've got a sale on and we'll buy it for five over, and everybody and they're kicking themselves like, how you know, how they get this? Obviously, they're not doing this to lose money, and and uh, I, how did it how did it even get there? Well, a lot of times they'll have bought a position in in one area of the country and sold it in a different area of the country, you know, a thousand miles apart, just putting a spread on. You know, just a just a freight play against one another because they know it's out of whack. And when it when it uh, when the spread between two different markets comes back together, they unwind it and get out of it. And so so yeah, they a lot of people think, oh, they must have sold ten over it sometime. Well, no, they they might have sold ten under and are getting out of it. They they lost fifteen in this market, but they gained twenty five in another, and that's just how it came off. It's uh, yeah, it's like you said. I mean, if, if we if we really try to dig in and think, oh, somebody made money and I missed out on something. That's usually not what happened. It they didn't they didn't uh cause you to miss on something. They they just did something else. Uh they they have they're playing a different marketing game than you are and uh which is fine and it, it complements each other and the the timing just happens different for different I guess segments of the of the of the supply chain, basically. So I kinda want a little wanted to know a little bit more uh, on your Milo, because, um, you know, out, out for, for listeners, you know, out, um, West Kansas, central West Kansas, you know, there's actually still Milo grown. And in a lot of places you don't see it grown anymore. And it's been a long time since it's been grown, but you know, it's had a stronghold out there for, for quite a few years. And, uh, and you're pretty big, uh, have a big history with Milo Adam and, and have been involved with it to, to degrees that the, a lot of people haven't. Can you go into a little bit about that and, and what you've done as far as Milo, other than itch um, over the years. <laughs> so yeah, I actually have a kind of a interesting and somewhat complicated history with Milo. So it actually kind of started. I was on a Farm Bureau feed grain advisory board, and 
I was selling, I, I was selling seed at the time. So my, my whole goal in life was try to get a guy to quit growing Milo and sell him corn. And it just so happened, I got appointed through, uh, to the United Sorghum Checkoff Program or the National Sorghum Checkoff. And I went to this meeting and I was, you know, I think 32. So young, young enough to be cocky and, and not realize that you're overly cocky and probably don't know what you think you know. And I go to this sorghum meeting and I was like, I don't know why you guys are even growing Milo, why you should be growing corn. And, he, you know, it just doesn't make sense. And, and so I was always on that board um, of a mindset of, uh, okay, if we if we're here to promote promote sorghum, what does it need to do to be competitive within within this market? And so I always kind of had when I was there, I was let's make, let's make sorghum work, and when I came home, I was let's sell some corn and soybeans. And but when I got off the board, um, is when I actually kind of realized, you know, there's there's a lot of opportunity within sorghum, and, and some of it is is the lack of, of depth within the market. So um, there isn't always a sorghum bid out there, but if there is a sorghum bid, that guy might really need it and he needs sorghum. It's not all, you know, you go to, you go to a university and they'll tell you, you know, sorghum should be priced 90, 85% of corn because that's the relative feed value. But there's a lot of things where sorghum, isn't a direct substitute to corn and so that's when you can find some value in it and when i was on the sorghum board there's a guy down in texas who basically ran a sorghum only elevator and the thing he told me was the biggest way to find value in sorghum is ip it by color if you have a bin of red and a bin of white and a bin of yellow you can find a market for each of those that won't be there if they're blended and so a couple of years ago, I sold sorghum in the China via container because it was a premium because it was all red. And then the last two years, I've sold white Milo as a premium because it's white. And I mean, I peed white. Like if there was, if the, I think it was like more than a percent or two of red in there, it, it'd be rejected. So, you know, there's, and when I'm talking, like, large premiums being able to do that. So there's, there's value out there. Um, but it's, you know, it's also, you gotta be an area where your, your corn yields probably aren't as good. You know, that's here we, I'm right on the edge of where corn is pretty reliable to being, it can be good or it can be a train wreck. So we, uh, we still grow corn, we still grow Milo, you know, it's just a good mix for us. So that, on your Milo, Adam, is that a deal where, and, and you know, back to what you said, the depth of the market, and that's just simply, we've seen times where Milo has a buck fifty overbid today and gone tomorrow. I mean, that's kind of the depth of the market. It's not a, it's not always a long-term deal, and and it's not just because there's a premium right now for old crop Milo here in March doesn't mean it's going to be there in September, or October, and you know that that kind of thing. You know, depth of market is just. It, you know, if you relate it to say futures trading, it's a very illiquid, low volume type of deal, um, and, and it comes with the volatility you know that you would expect from that. Um, but I think it's pretty cool that you've been able to identify these markets and um, you know grow what market's demanding and have that part you know kind of lockstep in, so that you can 
you know, like you said, you built bins, you might as well get a return to them. And that sounds like a pretty good way to get a return. And, and I, this, my bin and my Milo story, like it, it ended up working, but in terms of, you know, like reliability of, of a grain elevator and, you know, what I actually built my Milo bin, my, I built this bin this last year. I lease other bins, but I built up, I built a bin sized it basically for a white Milo end user bid, um, pretty big premium. And, you know, farmers do a lot of stuff on handshakes and it just, what was a deal, this poof went away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I think that's the other thing too. Farmers a lot of times need to realize that, that there's a lot of risk, counterparty risk within the grain industry that, mm-hmm. Like when I said so I sold direct into China through a container, I went as direct as you could go. I still went through a, a broker. It went from right. my place to a container to China to a distillery. I sold it to a broker. They they shipped it. And you hear guys saying, I want to sell direct to China and I'll put a fill container in my place. It's like, Yeah, what if it gets there and it gets rejected? You know? Right. And, and so there's there's so much risk that I don't think farmers probably value either that they offload on an elevator once it's delivered. Yeah, oh, yeah. And, and, you know, to be fair, we hear the same thing on, on elevators when, you know, in an area where an elevator can see they can start loading containers and they want to go – same thing. They want to go direct their sales to Asia or whatever. Uh, you know, there's a reason that brokers get paid for what they do when it comes to things like that because, they're like you said, it's all a risk thing. You know, uh, I had a guy that worked for uh, – one of the international uh, multinational guys uh, tell me because unless you can withstand losing a container or two of beans just somewhere in the ocean before it gets to China, don't do it direct. He goes, you know, because like you said, stuff stuff happens. Well, that was yeah. The broker I sold to through, she had I don't she had a big I don't, it wasn't a boat but it was a big shipment that was going to China what two years ago when they put the tariffs on. So here she had a boat that she had paid a premium for. That she had to figure out some place for it to go mid shipment, you know. And so there's just there's risk along the entire chain, you know. I think it's probably underappreciated yeah. or undervalued. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, to I mean, so, right now the the ethanol thing is is a little a little tough at the moment. So we've had heard a lot of those companies right now taking step backs and everything, and so. Yeah, I mean, as a as a farmer selling through an elevator or a broker, you know, gives you a little protection from from some of that. So, for sure. Now, I would like to to uh, while we're talking about you know the the specifics of what you grow out there, um, Papa Baldy's popcorn. Talk a little bit about that. So yeah, so it is. Gotta say, it's a jumbo mushroom pop popcorn. So it's a real big kernel. That's kind of its big selling point. Um, and we just started doing that a couple of years ago is when prices for everything kind of stunk. And my dad had been really into, he was making uh kettle corn like several nights a week. And he was like, well, why don't I just grow this myself? And so we kind of got started doing that. And, um, so my dad is grand is the grandpa. So he's Papa. And then Baldy was my nickname back in college when I, still had hair and it was, it was actually it was actually a nickname and not a description and uh, so we kind of 
started that. My wife does this kind of the marketing for it. So it's, it's, it's a nice little side business. You know, we have it quite a few stores. If anyone um, is listening who uh, has attended a K-State football game in the last year, a purple K-State kettle corn is a really big deal at K-State football games. And that guy used our popcorn last year. That was a pretty cool deal for us. So, Oh, awesome. But, and and I can vouch for it. I, I actually got to try some out thanks to your generosity here a while back. And uh, and uh, my little girl Maisie, we do movie night every Friday night, so uh, popcorn goes along with that. And it was a uh, it was a hit. And um, so yeah, definitely I'm a fan uh, for sure. Now that was some pretty good stuff. And as a, as a selfless plug, or I guess selfish plug really, um, popabollies.com. You can buy it online, and uh, they can. We're in a lot of areas, so they have where it's listed, where it's sold to. So if you want to try it, we'll be glad to uh, help you out. Awesome. awesome. Also do Christmas gifts if anyone wants to give customers little personalized bags. Hey, that's that's a great idea. That's uh, Everybody's looking to do that and highlight what their own customers are doing. So that's uh, – and in the people in the industry, so that's, that's really cool. All right. So, Adam, the next thing I got here is, I mean – uh, you've taken the time to learn basis and spreads a little more than I, I'd say it's safe to say probably more than than an average average farmer that that we interacted with and stuff, which is which is cool. What advice would you have to other guys who are maybe interested but haven't really learned that much about it yet, and uh, maybe have their own bins and how to how to manage that and and uh, just just that that whole deal? How should how should somebody like that go about learning that? from the farm standpoint. Well, this will be a shameless plug for white commercial here. Um, when, when I, when we first started binning, uh, my dad had, had went to some meeting and, and a presenter there said, if you have your own bins, you need to get the art of grain merchandising. And guy was like, it's kind of an expensive book you can get on Amazon, but you ought to buy it. And that was, that was my introduction to one, understanding um, how grain elevators worked and then two, trying to figure out a way to, to make it to better manage my, my, my grain and my grain bins um, and understanding spreads and ways to actually capture carry. Cause you know, there, there's a lot of those, those terms that get thrown out and farmers, they can maybe Sam and use them in a, in a, in a conversation and sound like they know what, what they're talking about, but I'm guessing 95% of them don't understand how it works. And, you know, if they get all the way through the workbook, they did better than me, but I've, I got far enough through it that I feel like I have, have a pretty good understanding of what's going on. And, and I, and I sit down, I look at it every once in a while, just kind of keep working at it. So I mean, I think that's just a, a really good tool um, for guys to understand. And, and if you don't have the book, I'm sure their merchandiser, they understand how, um, if they have a good understanding of what's going on within the grain market and how grain markets work, and they're not just, you know, a used car salesman that got hired to work for a grain company, uh, there's a lot of value there and a way to build a customer relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I love that, um, uh, you know, this again, it's a relationship thing and, and, uh, and, I, and I'll concede not everybody, not every grower out there is fortunate enough to work with an elevator or buyer that is really helping them. 
But I, I think that's changing, and we're seeing more and more of that being the case because everybody's trying to make their point of difference, and and you know it's it comes back to relationship thing. Um, you know, so so that being said, my final question to you, Adam, would be: What is one thing that you would say to our elevator audience out here that they could do or could consider doing to strengthen that relationship with their growers? Uh, I, I'm going to give you two. One is when you have meetings, don't don't go off on supply and demand reports. Just say it's bullish or bearish and just move on because we get them every time and farmers don't care. I just wanted to get that on the podcast. Uh, Perfect. But the, the, the real thing, um, I actually was, I thought about this as I was uh, hauling grain today and I wanted to check the, uh, how much I had hauled on a contract is, you know, I don't know how much like customer facing apps for grain elevators cost, uh, how big of an op, how big of a, how big you can have to be before it's, you know, there's a cost benefit, but mm-hmm. being able to have um, a, a, a very user-friendly workable website or app, um, I think brings a lot of value. I can, our, our local cooperative has a great app. You know, it, it texts, um, it texts me when I have, when there's a grain delivery uh, within like two minutes, of it leaving the scale of the truck leaving the scale and you know sometimes that can help even even just help the elevator because i was we were harvesting and i was actually i was planting wheat in the fall and i got a text that said we just delivered beans and i called the guy he was trucking and i said did you just dump at, at groveland and he goes yeah, I'm like you better check your ticket because it it just told me you dumped beans and we were cutting harvesting corn, you know. So it's just little things like that which you know it it saved us a problem dealing with settlements of trying to you know get that sorted out. And I just I just think it just makes doing business so much easier. Um, now that and if they can get to awesome where we could story. sign contracts digitally. Hmm. Yeah, and, and and that's great because and that's something. You know, Jason, we've been hearing from our customers, you know, at least uh, for a couple of years now, but really big this past year, this past winter during meeting season is apps and, and being able to tether to your customers and get that real time meaningful data to them, something other than just closing bids every day. So, uh, Adam, thank you for sharing that because that's very useful information because there are a lot of grain companies out there, I think, that are on the on the fence right now. Of should I, shouldn't I do this? Is there value? Is it worth it? And and you know sometimes it's it's a deal where maybe you can't pencil out the right exact return, but you know it's again you're trying to value service, and sometimes it's uh, there's some intangibles there that uh, you know it's, it's hard to to uh, figure. But uh, I think hearing it from you is a pretty good indication. Yeah, I think in terms of customer facing websites, the the value in that, especially as as the growers are going to tend trend somewhat younger or at least larger. Maybe they might not trend younger, but they're going to trend more uh, adaptive to technology. Because I can just on, on the chemical input side, um, we have two suppliers, and one has a way user friendly, way more user friendly website versus the other one in terms of like checking your accounts. And there, there's lots of decisions get weighed in on it. But if it's a total toss up, I'm going to go with the one who has 
the, the easier website to deal with just because it, it makes everything easier to deal with on my end. So there's, there's, there's this un- unbelievable value that can be delivered to a grower through a good website and app. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you try to relate it maybe to just everyday life as a, you know, uh, as a person living your life, it'd be like, um, you know, using Google to search something versus Alta Vista or ask Jeeves. Jason still uses ask Jeeves. Does that still work? Yeah, man. He's always, he always sets me straight. But even it's like a Domino's and Pizza Hut. I don't really like Domino's and I think Pizza Hut is better, but the Pizza Hut at is app is a pain to order and Domino's is really easy and my kids are fine with Domino's. We order Domino's way more often than Pizza Hut and it's just the ease of the app. So So let me ask you this. That's, that's, two two places, um one's one's bidding a, a penny less than the other one, but it's got a better uh user interface options and stuff. Is is it worth a penny to you? Yeah, I mean that's yeah. That penny to me that's that's the same bid. If it yeah. if it, it it would go it would go who do I like dealing with first? Like of my, my customer the the person who I'm dealing with as a customer. Okay. Who would I prefer to deal with? As long as price are close. You know, you get to be you know, you get to be a nickel or something like that, then all of a sudden things different. But in term in terms of just it's relationships first, but those apps strengthen that relationship or make that make it easier. That's how I look at it. Yeah. That's good. And that's a good point. I that's one thing with the apps. Uh, some people uh on the elevator side, older folks or whatever are worried, oh, you know, if they're if they got the app for stuff, you know, they're not gonna be uh, I may have less conversations with them and all that, but but what what folks have found is that it's actually more meaningful conversations uh when they do when they're talking rather than hey, you know, where am I at on this this contract or whatever and you know, a lot of detailed stuff. It's actually meaningful stuff when they talk, so it's helpful. All right, well, Adam, it's been awesome having you on. We really appreciate you taking some time with us and uh, and all that and, and uh, sharing sharing your side of things and that maybe gets uh, under under um, represented on this podcast. So we're, so we're glad that, that you could do that and, and help us out. Is there any other things you wanted to add before we wrap it up here? Oh, I just, I, I just personally thank you guys for doing the podcast. Honestly, um, I've gained a lot from it. I know I have some friends that have too, and uh, you know I just appreciate what you're doing. Hope you guys keep it up, and uh, thanks for having me on. And hopefully, hopefully I, I provided some insight to uh, your listeners. Yeah, great. Well, awesome. yeah, I, I think we can definitely say that that happened. So, excellent. Well, so for us, I mean, uh, that'll that'll do it for today. As always, we appreciate everybody listening and uh, for downloading and subscribing, hopefully, and uh, you know, share us out there with with uh, with anybody who you think would be interested. And and of course, uh, follow us at, at Elevators Cut on Twitter. Reach out and let us know uh, if, if there's anything you want to hear from us or need to correct us on anything. We're always uh, we're always good for that. So, uh, but that that's it for today. So, for Roger, I'm Jason. For Jason, I'm Roger. Thanks for listening to the Elevators Cut.
out.